Good morning, Deep Run family. This morning we will be reading from the English Standard Version. Um, If you're with us and need a Bible, there's one on the back table. If you're um, joining us online, just let one of us know and we'll find a way to get one to you. Please join with me in reading. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is the word of the Lord. We're spending November looking at the concept of giving and givers. We'll conclude after Thanksgiving, just four weeks. And we've talked about how uh, American Christians are so generous with their resources and their money. Uh, They are overwhelmingly more generous than the rest of American society, three times as generous. Despite that, only 10% of American Christians have learned about finances and generosity from their local church or from some spiritual leader. Uh, So we're tackling it this, this month of November. And in the last two weeks, we've seen how God is the source of all that we have and all that we give. Right? The source of all that we have, even the things that we've worked for hard ourselves, nonetheless, the source of it all is a generous God. And we've seen how that generous God desires in us not a sense of obligation and guilt in our generosity, but a sense of joyful gratitude in our giving habits. Now, we've looked at two Old Testament passages from from 1 Chronicles and from Deuteronomy, but have you asked yourself, how did that Old Testament generosity carry over into the New Testament age, into the church age, up until actually today, because we live in the church age. We're a part of the global church and the church throughout the ages. How did the Old Testament concept of generosity carry forward? Very, very well. Initially, very, very well. And we're going to look at that today in Acts chapter 4, which was written by Luke. Now, it's true, and you may, if you've been here long enough, you've heard me say this before. Many people have said this. The book of Acts is not prescriptive. It is not a manual on how we are to live our lives. It's descriptive. It's a history. It's describing by Luke, it's describing how the Holy Spirit gave birth to the global church, how, how God launched the global church uh, that has survived 2,000 years. So, so it's, it's a description of what God did in the past, not a prescription on how we should live our lives specifically. Nonetheless, there are really important principles when you read a historical book of the Bible. There are timeless principles that we should follow, that we should understand. And that's the case in Acts chapter 4, this little passage that we're going to look at today. 
There's a principle here that's foundational for Christian generosity throughout all ages, including our own. And I hope as we look at the end of Acts chapter 4, you're going to see that the church is a community of mutual generosity. That's today's idea. Generosity, in Christian terms, generosity is grace in action. God's children extending His grace in our care for one another. Generosity is grace in action. I want to talk about the early church in action. You're going to see it here in Acts chapter 4. And I also want to talk about today's church in action. And I want to talk about the grace of God in action, because none of this generosity would be possible without God's grace. The early church's action, today's church in action, and finally, God's grace in action. Now, the early church in action was actually guided by its Jewish heritage. Remember, as you read the New Testament, the very first Christians were Jews. Those who had known Jesus and had followed Jesus and were surrounded uh, by other people who knew Jesus. And so we're going to look at the early church and its Jewish heritage today. Now, the Israelites, the ancient Israelites had been united by God rescuing them from slavery in Egypt. The early church were Christians who had been united by a Lord who died for them and rose from the dead. So they're unified, and when you read the first four chapters of Acts, that's a common theme. Despite persecution, imprisonment, things like that, God was moving in power. Amazing phenomena were taking place in Jerusalem. And, and you see this common theme of unity. And actually, in Acts chapter 4, verse 32, we read that the full number of those who believed, so there you have it, those, those who were following Jesus Christ, who had risen from the dead, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Now, when you look at that statement, why is that not communism? As, as Americans who live in a capitalistic society, we, I have to ask that question. Why is this not socialism? It's because it's not forced redistribution of wealth and resources. You see voluntary generosity. It says, Luke says, no one said that what he had was his own. Or as the New International Version translation puts it, no one claimed that what belonged to him was his own. And so and the wording there is important. Luke is saying, yes, they owned their possessions legally, but they did not lord their possessions. Their possessions were legally theirs, but they were very generous with them. If you were here two weeks ago, remember J.R.R. Tolkien's The Steward of Gondor? And how the steward governs from a seat on the floor, but the king, who's not there yet, the king's throne is empty. And, and that's symbolic that the steward governs, but only the king rules. You remember that? Well, that's how we look at our wealth. That's how we look at all of our resources as Christians. The steward manages, but does not rule. We are stewards and not lords of our possessions. And you see that here in Acts chapter 4. Uh, the late British pastor and scholar John Stott described it this way. He said they cultivated 
An attitude so radical that, and this is important, they thought of their possessions as being available. They thought of their possessions as being available to help their needy sisters and brothers. There was a different society and age as opposed to ancient Israel, right? But the principles from the Old Testament still appear. If you look at verses 34 and 35, Luke tells us there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And so you see right there, there's accountability. There's corporate accountability. They laid, what, they laid the proceeds at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. So the proceeds were advanced towards those based on what their needs were. And so the same principles carried over into the New Testament because the same problems existed in the world. Deuteronomy chapter 15, God had told the ancient Israelites, their ancestors, the ancestors of the church age, there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and the poor in your land. And for the church age, you can just change the word land to something like this. There will always be need in the church. There will always be need in any society. And then Luke illustrates one particular instance of the early church in action in verse 36. He specifically tells us about one individual, Barnabas, who actually had some land and sold it and then took the proceeds and gave it to the church so that the church could distribute it well. He was a Jew, but he was from the island of Cyprus in the Mediterranean. So clearly he was back in Jerusalem. Maybe he was visiting relatives. He was probably there because this is relatively soon after the, the, the feast, the annual feast of Pentecost. And it says, this is, I find this interesting. Luke goes out of his way to mention that he was a Levite. Do you notice that? I don't think this is coincidental. Luke was a very careful chronicler and historian. I don't think it should be lost on us if you've been paying attention for the last two weeks, and, and if you miss them, just go to our website. The recordings are there. I don't think it should be lost on us that Luke goes out of his way to mention that Barnabas was a Levite. Do you remember what we looked at in Deuteronomy chapter 14 last week when God said to the Israelites, you shall not neglect the Levite who is within your towns, for he has no portion or inheritance with you. In Old Testament Israel, the people shared their resources with the Levites because the Levites took care of the temple and they led worship and they had no physical inheritance. They had no land and so they had no way of generating their own resources and their own income and so the people were to share their wealth with the Levites. And here you have in the New Testament church a Levite sharing the resources of his land with the people. Isn't that beautiful? You have a Levite in the New Testament returning the blessing upon his brothers and sisters. Mutual generosity. I think that's beautiful. And this practice was not abandoned by the early church, by the Apostle Paul. 
and by missionaries who brought Christianity across the Mediterranean world and throughout the centuries. This concept of mutual generosity has continued until today. Today's church in action is guided by that same principle of mutual generosity. We don't neglect one another. We don't overlook the felt needs among us, whether they're financial or physical or psychological or social. Because many of us have different types of needs. You may be rich in one sense and very poor in another. Now look, if Luke had simply written this, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. If that's all Luke shared about the whole situation, well, it would read very much like a religious revival, wouldn't it? Like a pietistic movement, preaching and miracles. Wow, well, that's easy to pray for and, and hope that we can replicate. But Luke did more than that. Luke describes before and after verse 33, now, that did happen. Jesus did rise from the dead. The apostles were proclaiming it publicly, and people were hearing that and coming to faith. All of that is true, of course. That's the center of it all. But look at what encapsulates it. Luke describes in the verses before and after a holistic embodiment of the grace of God in their actions. Do you see it? Not only is mission action. Not only is discipleship and evangelism action. Giving is action. Generosity, Luke shows us, is action. It's not popular. Giving is not popular. Giving often, as you know, goes unnoticed or unappreciated. And often, true giving goes unreciprocated. Isn't that true? Unreciprocated. I mean, it's not like somebody sold another field and took the money and gave it back to Barnabas. Sacrificial giving is often unreciprocated, which is why it takes joy and gratitude to give sacrificially because the motivation is not to get something back. It's joyfully to give and to share. Generous sacrificial giving is action that embodies God's grace among us. Randy Neighbors in his book, Merciful, and all our deacons in their training read Merciful, and I think the current deacons have read it again recently. He, de he defines mercy, and mercy is what you see all over this. And as you read Acts chapter six, you'll see mercy come out again when there was a problem with Greek-speaking widows not being fed enough. But Randy Neighbors defined mercy as compassion towards those who are in need resulting in action to alleviate that need through acts of charity leading towards self-sustainment. There's a whole lot in there we could spend an entire week studying. But what keeps a church healthy? Let's get practical now, us. What keeps a church, what will keep our church healthy? What will keep our church hospitable with with a contagious air of fellowship. A dynamic needs to be cultivated in which everyone feels like they belong and everyone feels like their needs are being met by one another. That's how we stay healthy. That's how the hospitality and the fellowship and the friendship and the social flavor of a church gets contagious.
everyone feels like they belong, and everyone practically experiences their needs being met mutually by one another. Once you had a need and somebody provided it, and now you've done the same thing, maybe a different need, or maybe exactly in the same way. You've done that for others. Maybe it was a check for the rent. Maybe it was a meal. Maybe it was a ride to the airport or a ride to the hospital. Maybe it was a few hours of blessed babysitting so that you can gain your sanity back. But it's all mutual generosity. Preaching declares the word of God. Preaching declares the grace of God. Giving embodies the grace of God. So practically speaking, on this week as we approach Thanksgiving, if you're a Christian and if you're committed to this church, consider how your material resources and your spiritual gifts can benefit one another. I know it sounds silly, I know this, but my recent Lego passion, I honestly believe that God has called me to share that passion with, with other people. That's the whole point of Lego Sundays, Sundays, Sundays. <laughs> Two weeks away, by the way. But seriously, like, and, 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 and I know this is true, how many of you have plant children and plant grandchildren that were snipped off of one of Becky's plants that she has nurtured and see people are raising their hand in her home? Right? These are silly little examples, but they mean something because sometimes, sometimes mutual generosity is simple and sometimes it's profound. Sometimes it's public and sometimes it's private. But how can you mutually serve one another with the spiritual gifts and the material resources that God has blessed you with. And at this point, our mission statement as a church is very important to, to share. Now, you've heard us talk about our vision statement all the time, but we also have a mission statement. And, and quite simply, the mission statement is this, that everyone who comes into contact with Deep Run Church, including each one of us, would develop a gospel based identity with who we are and how we see reality in the world. That the gospel of Jesus Christ's grace and forgiveness would change who we think we are and get to the core of our identity. And from there it moves forward because a changed identity means that we will develop, by God's grace, each of us, a practical theology. If Jesus rose from the dead and has reconciled us all, well, well, our theology needs to be put into action, right? The grace of God embodied in our actions. A gospel identity that develops into a practical theology that will make us mature disciples of Jesus Christ who eventually become God's faithful stewards with all that he's given to us. Now, a simpler way of saying all that is the gospel of Jesus Christ will change your identity. Whoever you are, it will change you in some profound way. You'll still be you, but it will change you. And with a new identity, guess what happens? Your thinking changes. And once your thinking changes, the Holy Spirit of God reorders your priorities. And when your priorities change, 
It impacts your behavior, which is to say, with a new identity, God calls us to action. That is based upon who Jesus has made us. And remember, and we talked about this last week, if you follow Jesus and you're a part of this church, then we each are co-investors. We are each co-stewards of the mission God has given to Deep Run Church. We are each co-stewards of this mission statement, which means we must be co-investors to see the statement move forward into reality. And, And it's been exciting to see over the last seven years, God has been doing just that. And he has so much more to do. But what are we when individualistic consumerism takes over? What are we when individualism and consumerism are not governed by grace. When you take grace out of the American financial equation, what are we left with? Listen to what John Calvin said in the 1500s when he compared the people of Acts chapter four with the people of his community in Central Europe. Reading Acts chapter four, Calvin commented, They did simply and faithfully bring forth their own. We invent a thousand subtle shifts to draw all things unto us by hook or by crook. They laid it down at the apostles' feet. We fear not with sacrilegious boldness to convert that to our own use which was offered to God. They sold in times past their possessions. There reigneth at this day an insatiable desire to buy. This is 500 years ago. What would he say about us today? When you look at verse 33, it says that great grace was upon them all. Did you catch that? In all of this, all this busyness, all of these miracles and imprisonments and people coming to faith, people giving themselves to the church, people believing in Jesus, all of these wonderful things, it says in the middle of all of it, and great grace was upon them all. You see, the grace of God, it it calls all of us, each of us, out of the confines of our individualistic liberties. Now, we can say as Americans, it's nobody else's business what we do with our money and what we do with our possessions. Maybe that's true as citizens of America. But as a Christian, it is God's business what you do with your money and your resources. It is absolutely his business. Maybe your possessions are useful for benefiting more than just you. Maybe God has given you so much so that just a portion of it can be used for somebody else to flourish. Grace in action allows us to flourish. God's grace in action is our inherited family trait as God's sons and daughters. Grace in action is something that we don't just cook up ourselves. God has cooked it up for us. Long before we have ever realized, oh, wow, like, God changed my life. I, I, I guess I should reconsider what I'm doing with my life and, and all that I have. Well, long before you ever came to that realization, Jesus Christ died on a Roman cross. Jesus Christ gave his body, his spirit, his life, 
his reputation, his royal cosmic throne up so that you could flourish. Mutual generosity started with Jesus. Jesus dying on the cross was the first act of giving in the global church. It started right there at Calvary when Jesus bled and died for you. Paul said in Ephesians chapter chapter 5, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. You see, when we give, when we're generous with our resources, we're imitating our heavenly Father. Paul said, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Healthy churches do grace-filled giving because each one of us has experienced grace. The first dynamic of mutual generosity is when we realize God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. And so we give ourselves to him. And we give ourselves to each other. God put his compassion for you into action to forgive you, to save you, to reconcile you back to him. Now, with gratitude, we each joyfully imitate our Heavenly Father. And and that's the heart of giving and generosity in in the New Testament. And and we're still in that age. We're We're still in the same age as Peter and Paul and Lydia and Barnabas. Our community is a community of mutual generosity. So... So let's consider as, as we begin basting, you know, our turkeys or looking for our basters because we can't find them in the junk drawer, and as we start thinking about those relatives that we're kind of excited about seeing, but maybe not very excited about seeing, and uh, as, as the things get very busy and exciting, and, and as the Advent season is approaching just a week from now, consider Right? As all of this is happening, and enjoy yourselves. Let's enjoy ourselves. And as all of that is happening, consider how your material resources and your spiritual gifts can benefit one another and can benefit our neighbors who have never seen the grace of God in action. Maybe long before they give themselves to Jesus, the first, the first bit of God's grace in action may just be you sharing something with them. Maybe you babysit their kid. You know, may, maybe, maybe you take in their mail when they're on vacation. And maybe it's way more costly than that. But trust the Lord with it. We are a community of mutual generosity. And as we get ready to take a meal that our Lord Jesus prepared for us 2,000 years ago, where he showed us what sacrificial generosity is, Let's pray. Father, thanks for the witness of Luke and the early church, the first church in Jerusalem. Uh, We're amazed by uh, reading these accounts of how your Holy Spirit worked. Father, we know that we're not going to see signs and wonders every day. Most of us have never seen that. Uh, Nonetheless, Father, uh, we believe in the resurrection of the dead. We believe, as we have said earlier, in life everlasting. We believe in the communion of saints, Father. And in the communion of saints, I pray that we would apply 
our resources, our finances, our generous hearts. For Christ's sake and in his name, amen.